Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Just over three weeks away from the 2020 draft, we'll begin our look forward with Simon Clancy. We're also going to be discussing three former number one overall picks still out there on the market. Where could they end up? And with the expanded playoffs due to be voted on today, who makes it? If they do get expanded, you're listening to the Gridiron Show. Hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, I've got uh, Matthew Sherry and Simon Clancy with me as well. For uh, for a group of men who, uh, like the rest of the country, have not left the house for the last two weeks, actually getting together to put a show on proved to be surprisingly difficult over the last couple of weeks. So it's a delight to be hanging out, boys. It's been surprisingly difficult the last 30 seconds, frankly, just trying to get the spot on the road. <laughs> Your 83 intros that you had to retake. <laughs> Wow. Wow. I mean, this is just borderline slander at this point. But, sure. uh, yeah, it was it wasn't my finest hour, but I'll uh, I'll take it. That's, I'm good with it. How, um, how have you boys been? Yeah. Uh, you know, these are very weird times, aren't they? I mean, when you stop and think about what's happening, like you actually sort of stop and think the entire world is completely shut down uh, pretty much. That just seems almost unfathomable mm-hmm. that, that we're in this situation. But, you know, fingers crossed that staying inside will help flatten the curve and we can, you know, we can get back to enjoying walking down the street and not having to worry about things. So, yeah, it's um, crazy times. Sherry, all well with you, boy? Oh, my God, his mic's not working. No. <laughs> so it's, it's amateur hour. I've not left. I'd turned it off because I'd got up shut to open the door. Uh, I've not left. I've not left the house for for ten days now. So I'm looking forward to, to being able to just walk outside for for a little bit tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I think the the fact that for me I'm so busy at work is is helping um, putting the draft issue together at the minute. Um, <laughs> We are looking into launching a weekly digital magazine as well um, in the next week or so. So, so yeah, there's there's a lot going on at work. So I think that's that's helpful for me. But yeah, it's just odd, like you say, Sai. The amount of times on a night you just sit back and think about what's actually happening and the insanity of it. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very very odd. And I'm I'm hoping and and looking forward to to it being over and returning to normality as soon as soon as possible. Well, with that in mind, the NFL has decided to keep pushing forward with as much normality as, as they possibly can. The announcement last week, or not really announcement, the leaked memo from Roger Goodell that the 2020 draft will go ahead as scheduled, April 23rd till the 25th, essentially asking teams to make sure that they had arrangements in place to deal with the unique circumstances. The fact that they're only meant to be gathering in small numbers and well, it's not quite locked down in, in most places. In America yet but the fact is is that it makes it pretty difficult to have all your scouts front office staff coaching staff everyone in the same room and do a normal war room so it's going to be a, a unique draft this year we found out yesterday that that there's going to be as many as 50 
prospects participating in the draft virtually, doing the uh, the usual attending of the draft. I wonder if we'll actually get to see them sat around a table as we pick other players and see their frustrations as they fall. Um, what, what do you make of it all, Simon? As as you know, the guy who has so keenly covered the draft over the years is this is this going to really cause some hindrance for some teams? I think it probably is. I think it, it's going to be frustrating and you've certainly found and you've certainly seen some teams talk about their frustration. Uh, some of the major columns that came out yesterday had quotes from front office staff saying that it was fairly ridiculous that the draft was continuing to go ahead uh, and some of the language that Roger Goodell used in his letter um, about essentially just shutting down anybody that, that had any disagreement about it, I, I thought was quite interesting. Uh, th- there is one outlier for this, which is that there, there is going to be a draft that happens before the NFL draft, which is the WNBA draft. And they are essentially going to continue to do their uh, picking system in the same way that the NFL will do remote locations, albeit on a slightly smaller scale. But it will be interesting to see how that works. I mean, you've seen that teams uh, are sort of trying to set up high-speed technology, and uh, you know, because I think some people are working from home have realised that you know, home broadband is not the same as incredibly high-speed. You know, the million pounds worth of uh, of kit that they have in their um in their team facilities. So things like streaming video for players has been very difficult. I think for some teams to get hold of. I spoke to a scout the other night who said that trying to get tape over to the head coach who has a sort of <laughs> what feels like a dial-up broadband system has been very <laughs> difficult. So sending hours worth of tape, even the, the minutiae of those sorts of things, I think has been difficult. So it will be intriguing to see. And also, you know, with with the possibility that New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey are shut down, how will that affect the teams in, in, in those areas? What other states might be shut down between now and April 23rd? Um, in terms of being able to people being able to gather together there, there remains a strong possibility that some teams won't be able to be in their own team facility so how will that manifest will they be allowed three four five people in a hotel room for example um you know who goes into that room who is the person that is dealing with trades who is the where does the cat person sit who is the person that sits and looks at each team's needs and what they did in free agency and 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 sort of picks who's going to potentially trade up and trade down and those sorts of things who is going to be looking at that, those last-minute bits of tape. Um, and even now in that scouting process where some of the coaches are still kind of getting around to, you know, getting on board with a lot of the prospects, it's not like they can just go and sit. You know, John Lynch talked about it the other day. It's not like they can go and sit in a room all together and, and play 30 plays from, you know, Lynn Bowden's career at Kentucky or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at LSU. You're literally saying, right, go. let's all go away and reconvene an hour and try and watch these, you know, these bits of film and then come back and we'll go through, through our notes. So it does make it very difficult. Um, but I think the flip side is that I'm really glad that it is going ahead because it uh, it feels like sport needs a bit of a, or life needs a little bit of a, an antidote to everything that's going on. I mean, we've talked about it before. It's the fact is, is that all the teams are operating under the same auspices. So we know that, you know, if if you are if you're complaining about this, everyone else is going through the same thing. So that that kind of avoids it feeling unfair necessarily. And, and, and that that doesn't just apply to NFL teams. The whole world is going through the same thing, oh. and many people are going through it in in industries where they don't have access to millions of dollars or billions of dollars in terms of ownership to put systems in place to make it smoother. I mean, 
you know, in in the midst of all this, the the idea that I would have any sympathy for NFL teams yeah. have, having to work differently <laughs> in the way that we all are is is ludicrous. I mean, I mean, he- I, and I think the draft should go ahead. You've got to think as well that once, if and when this is over, and I say if now because it's increasingly clear they could be longer than we thought. You know. There's going to be lots of other actual sports to return to anyway. So I think anything that can be done in the intervening period that is completely safe, which this is if done correctly, and and can raise spirits of people and, and, and allow people three days to, to think of other things is, is a good thing. So... Yeah, and I think well, there are there are elements of it that I'm intrigued. Like, what are the elements that are going to be more difficult? Is it when you get into those later rounds when you are less sure and, and kind of the top guys maybe haven't done all the, you know, haven't watched all 400 prospects that your scouts have actually managed to put you together reports on that you think are potentially draftable? Um, there's there's also that kind of question of whether the NFL should or does react to the fact that the technology and the situation is going to be difficult. For example, do you get slightly longer on draft picks or do, or particularly on that kind of first televised day as well? I'm intrigued to just see how the whole product comes together as well, to be fair. I'm intrigued to see how they put together. I, I, you know, I trust the NFL to do it, but how do you put together a really slick presentation? I think I think things can be difficult for small school kids. One for guys that didn't work out of the combine. Two and for guys with with either medical or off field issues. Because I think teams are going to be less willing to take sort of swings at the fences for guys who they either haven't seen work out that they haven't been able to get their hands on. You know, you take a, a, an injured player. The last time you saw him was at the Combine. There was the, the, There's been no medical recheck at the Combine because that was cancelled. And there's no way of you getting doctors out to go and see guys that were injured. So you take it like Ashton Davis, the safety at Cal. You know, he was a 110-meter high hurdle state champion. So we know he can run, but he doesn't have a 40 time. And as, as ludicrous as it still seems in 2020 that we measure things on that, that that is really important for scouts. You know, they've not been able to check the injury. He's, you know, he had a groin injury that he played with for most of the year. You know, they haven't been able to get their hands on him, see how the injury is. He wasn't able to work out the combine. He wanted to work out the Cal Pro Day. There is now no Cal Pro Day. He's literally working out in his own in his own front room with a TRX machine and, you know, going to the park before he gets stopped by the police from from doing workouts and stuff. You know, there, there are a number of teams using GPS tracking. That the, the college is set up to measure the players, you know, output during games in the season, where they're actually trying to measure how fast a kid can run across 40 yards by using a team's GPS system, by seeing how he can change direction. So these are kind of extraordinary times for for the teams. But like like Matt says, I I, I have little sympathy. You know, you have to walk down any sort of high street, I mean, pretty much anywhere in the world. But certainly, you know, you walk around a high street in the UK and you just think that ain't surviving that business is not surviving how can those cab drivers they're, they're not surviving the guys that are sat outside stations for trains that never come you know how are you know how are these people going to survive when you, and yet we're sat here worrying about you know whether or not a, a billion pound industry has a, a decent broadband connection in a coach's 10 bedroom mansion it's kind of you know i don't i don't have a lot of sympathy on that front i think the, the other the other element is as well that and I spoke to Jim Nagy, the senior ball director, last week, and we'll we'll probably release that as a as a singular interview within um, on the podcast feed later this week. But he thinks that he thinks a lot of seniors will get drafted higher than they, they otherwise would because they've got more kind of tape on these guys, and sometimes with juniors there's less of that. But 
you're willing to take the risks when you you probably get them in front of you. So I think that might be one one effect. I, I ultimately think the biggest impact will be that smart teams um, end up with bigger and better draft halls than than they would have previously. Because I can just see a scenario where teams like the Ravens, um, the Patriots, and teams like that who were very good at at finding guys later on in the draft anyway, because clearly, to me in their scouting, they put more of an emphasis on that already than 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 teams who were notoriously bad at drafting. I think they'll end up coming out of this better because I think they will have done the extra research on the pro- on the prospects lower down, and they will also crucially be willing to to take a risk and a chance that other teams might not be able to. So I think those teams with with great security in the in the in the front office and confidence in in what they're doing and and also job security will will take more risks and ultimately will probably end up with a better haul because of that. You look at a team like the Bengals as well that doesn't have a big scouting staff. Yeah. That's going to be a team that really struggles. You know, they have the smallest scouting staff. They spend the least amount of money on scouts and on you know general on um, front office personnel. That is a team that's going to struggle because they just don't have the horses, the manpower to dig into some of those. You know, a lot of those small school guys that are going to go under the radar. A lot of the, you know, the the late bloomers, the, those sorts of things that they're just not going to be able to take risks on. They are just going to have to play it very safe throughout the draft because they just do not have the horses to try and discover these kind of un, uh, untapped gems. Do you think uh, there was that interesting tweet I sent you last week from an agent in the NFL, Nicole Lynn, saying about juniors who declared for the draft should be given a, an exception this year and be able to return to school if they wanted to? Same thing you were saying about the kind of small school guys with no pro days, no visits or private workouts. Uh, is that a, a gr- another group of people uh, who, who could potentially see themselves suffering? We're saying we're not we're not feeling sympathy for teams, but you've got to feel some sympathy for players who this is their one occasion to to actually make it and you know they might be left with less of an opportunity i I mean i I think the question with that is i i I think they should give them the opportunity but that isn't a decision to be taken lightly either because at the end of the day is there even going to be a college season next year i mean i would suggest that it would be harder to move back the college season than it would be the nfl season simply because it it has to operate within the confines of being ultimately still a game within within an education system in a university. So, I, I mean, I, I think they should give them the option, but I, but I think that either decision there carries great risk because right now there is huge uncertainty about what will happen with next year's seasons in both the NFL and college football. I, I think the NFL will ultimately be fine for, for two reasons. One... Um, the huge gap between one season and the next. You know, there's a seven-month window there, so the, the NFL is really well placed to be in a position to move the entire season back. I mean, it's a logistical nightmare, but so is everything that we're discussing around this. So, so I think I think for that reason, and and just general, you know, the NFL's adaptability over its whole history is is incredible, and 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 the, the one thing you could always say about the NFL for all the flaws is its ability to to kind of manoeuvre through these kinds of crises in history has been exceptional, and I'm sure it will be here as well. But, yeah, I think the short season makes it easier for the NFL, but for, for college, I, I think it's a, it's potentially a different story. So I, I would like to see that them given that option, but I'm not sure it's a decision I would be making if I was if I was one of those guys necessarily. 
I agree with Matt. I think it's a good idea in principle. But but two things. Uh, one is that yeah, if there's not a season, then all of a sudden you might go 18 months without playing. So your chances of you being drafted in 2021 become less likely than ever because you know you haven't been on the field for such a long time. Uh, and the, the part two of that is, I mean. The NCAA is one of the least progressive, least forward-thinking organizations in the world. You only have to look at what happened with Trevor Lawrence and his partner the other day who decided to set up a GoFundMe to help um, to help struggling businesses uh, in the South Carolina area and was immediately shut down by the NCAA um, for, you know, because, because Trevor Lawrence isn't allowed to be associated with fundraising for money um, due to the, you know, the historic rule system that, that they have in place um so i i just don't believe that you know that decision will be will be signed off by the ncaa as something that that benefits them because ultimately they they seem to operate in a bubble that only benefits the national collegiate athletic association and nobody else you could imagine what well, on the point of the college season though that uh, much like with everything we're talking about, if this does go on for much longer than, well, I mean, I think it's going to go on longer than current predictions or current certain stoppages that are in place. But if this goes on a lot further than even, you know, medical science is currently predicting it will, you can you can imagine them playing a college season, say, January to, to April or something like that, surely. But then I'm, I'm, I'm not sure around. whether it's practical. I think it's practical for the NFL to... To, to, to adjust significantly. I mean, I could see them play, starting an NFL season in December and it ultimately being okay as a, as a one-off. Because you could, you could really, I mean, you could do it two ways with the NFL. You know, it's a five-month season. You could fit it in and start again in September and accept that it's a very short off-season. Or you could do that process gradually over a year. So just say it was December, November the next year, October, then back to September. And uh, But I think with college... You know, around at the end of the day, fundamentally, as much as as much as the top guys, it's really important for them, and they're trying to get to the NFL. Ninety-five percent of a college football roster, their main job is to graduate college and and get their degree. So, how practical is it within the within the confines of that structure? I would imagine extremely difficult. The flip side of that, though, is look at how difficult that would make the twenty twenty one draft. For example, if there was no college football season this year then you're essentially now going to be drafting players who haven't played for 18 months. You know, that would rule out... Look at look at Joe Burrow, for example. I mean, if yeah. Joe Burrow would, would probably be a late-round or undrafted player if we hadn't had... Like, you know, if this had happened last year, now he's looking to go number one overall. Look how things can change. You know, it, it would be an astonishing situation that the NFL would be placed into trying to select players that they have not seen play for more than 80, you know, for almost two years. Um, how difficult does that make the process? So, uh, you know, if the college football season is flipped to, um, you know, spring of 2021, what happens to the East-West Shrine game? What happens to the Senior Bowl? What happens to the Combine? What happens to the draft itself? You know, do they all get flipped to the summer, for example? You know, then that leaves, you know, a very short space of time for the 2021 slash 2022 NFL season if you're looking to start that in you know mid-autumn even if it does kick back to say October or November that doesn't leave an awful lot of time for for any of these things so um there's some awfully big decisions that are going to have to be made but essentially everything is just being driven by the science everybody is out of control at the moment because nobody quite knows how what when where and why this is going to finish yeah 
Yeah, undoubtedly. Uh, that, in terms of draft coverage, we're going to have a lot more coming up over the coming uh, the coming three weeks. Simon's going to be doing some specific looks at draft prospects. We'll also have a, a kind of uh, some longer form podcast, deep diving on positions, etc., and of course reaction in and around the draft itself. Um, what about the players who are still out there and available? We mentioned it briefly earlier, but right now we've got three former first uh, overall picks out available on the market in uh, Jameis Cam and Jadavian Clowney. I mean, I, I could ask why these guys are out there. I think Jadavian Clowney's the interesting one to ask that question about because, you know, quarterbacks, we've discussed it a lot. There's more, uh, there's more quarterbacks than there are available positions right now. But where do you see these guys when we talk about the start of training camp, for example? Um, I mean, I, th- I think I think Cam in particular will get picked up fairly quickly after the draft. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a bit no man's land this for free agents, and we see this quite a lot with with veteran guys who don't get deals on that first day or so. His teams then really become reticent because you want to see what you get out of your draft class, and then you need to project that forward and 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 then start hoovering up. Some of these other guys, um, so I think I think Cam will be fine because there's there's huge upside with Cam. Like at the end of the day, with Cam, you could realistically make a case that if you get him healthy and put the right things around him, that he could easily become a top ten quarterback in the NFL. He's done that in the past. I mean, it's been a while now since that great MVP season, but I, I think we still think that the physical capabilities, health permitting, are there for him to do that. Winston to me is a is a fascinating guy because I, he isn't the the classic draft bust now who is going to struggle like Rg three did to get a backup job. I think that, but I think the problem with Winston is most teams who bring him in, he's going to have a chance to compete for the starting job. So I think you need it needs to be the right situation again, and and obviously I think he'll find a team. And Clowney, I, I I guess is just asking for too much money for a guy who. You know, again, another guy with, with, with injury concerns over the course of his career. But also, I think with Clowney, the, the frustration of seeing a player who... I mean, we, we, we talked about it, I think, on the last pod, that game against the 49ers last year when he was absolutely awesome. And when he fancies it, he can be that kind of game-changer, take-over-a-game type defensive player, which is incredibly rare. But I think your concern would be paying a guy like that who doesn't do that snap to snap and, and game to game because how many times have we seen the Albert Hainsworth or the guy like that who gets paid long term deal and eventually and, and essentially just stops trying to be a good football player. And Cam is so intriguing as well because he could, you know, like Matt said, he could be a starter at a number of teams, you know, and I, and I genuinely think that going in to be a backup somewhere, you know, you've heard talk of different clubs uh, that would surprise me because it just feels like you know he, he he it feels like he's healthy again you know and if you can slightly modify what he does you know i.e you're not putting him out there to be hit all the time and i know that means that you're taking away something special from his game but if you're just trying to modify that a little bit i still think you've got a very significant starter in in the nfl it's not the mvp of 2015 but it's still a significant starter and i think you know I think there will be clubs out there who will potentially be, you know, Jacksonville is one that certainly springs to mind. You know, as much as as much as Jarrett Stidham seems like the future, or at least the short term future in New England, 
you know, I still think that would be a, a wise move. Jameis, I think, you know, I look at a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, would seem like the perfect landing spot for Jameis. You know, Tim Boyle as the backup in Green Bay. You know, Jameis going in, at, and look, he's still only 26 years old, yeah. which is remarkable. But Jameis going in and, you know, working under Aaron Rodgers, you know, in that system as, as a backup, rehabilitating himself a little bit. You know, it, it's not like he's not going to get paid again. It's not like he's going to get the he's not going to get the opportunity to start again. Uh, and I think that perhaps for him just staying out the limelight for, for a year or two and just working in one of those systems, I think would make a huge amount of sense. I think it's and going to the, right, the right coach as well, isn't it, for someone like yeah, James? Like, I, I think the Rams would make a huge amount of sense for, for yeah. James. Like you, you don't know where you're at with, you don't really know where you're at with Jared Goff. So bring somebody in who could at least feasibly compete with him and a guy that ultimately might have some upside if Goff has another year like he did last year and you need to start thinking about the get-outs within his contract. So I, I think the Rams would make sense for both, actually, because I think you want to get somebody in to give Goff some meaningful competition. But also, again, guys with upside who, if you have to replace them mid-season or after 12 months you decide, actually, you've overvalued Jared Goff in the contract you've given him, then you might have you know, a solution to your problem for the future as well. I, I like the shout, the, the, uh, depending on money, obviously, and particularly someone like Cam, who uh, has been used to getting that starter money. And you said about how he feels healthy now, but it's been a succession of problems, both leg and shoulder, and it's affected his throwing motion. It's affected just he's not looked like the same guy at all, not that he was ever, you know, the most accurate passer in the world. But I, lo- I love the idea of somewhere where it is an aging veteran. And actually, you gave a couple of examples there, like Pittsburgh and Green Bay, where they haven't invested in a backup quarterback in the past, and it's ended up absolutely biting them at times when we we can see what the value it has. I mean, the Eagles being the most obvious one from recently, but yeah. nobody wants to see any more Duck Hodges. No, quite. They, they don't, that, but also, the, the Steelers are fascinating because just do, do we have any idea whether Ben Roethlisberger can still play? You know, yeah. we've talked we've talked about Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Tom Brady this this year. Roethlisberger's coming off basically being out for the entire season, and you could also argue that he was shown signs of decline the previous year. And with you know Roethlisberger, almost to me is is the guy Cam is. Is, is very similar to in terms of the way they've played in their career and their, their style, you know, Cam admittedly a lot more a lot more athletic and a lot faster. But, I mean, I, I would think Cam in there would be perfect and, and just see what you've got with Roethlisberger still. I mean, I think the Steelers should have learned from last year when, it, let's be honest, a talented team on the verge of the playoffs with, with probably the worst quarterback situation in football. Like, it amazes me that they are not making moves to... To, to build something stronger behind Roethlisberger because one you don't know if he's still got it and two I think you're worried that injury can be just round the corner again my laptop is being insanely and frustratingly slow again you know true first world problems in these times but what's the Steelers cap situation like could they afford Dreadful. somebody like that absolutely yeah, it's awful. not good yeah I, yeah, I thought it was bad but same, I... it? <laughs> yeah but how much money are these guys going to want like I think the other question is um, and, and maybe the Steelers are a bad example because any guy would ultimately think they've they've gone uphill struggle to beat out Roethlisberger because of his history with that franchise. But I think there's an opportunity here for 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 teams. And again, the Patriots will be a good example of this to be able to say to these players, "Well, 
coming on a one-year deal, ten million. You've got a chance to compete for the starting job and and a real chance and back yourself, have a good year, and then you'll cash in next season. Pittsburgh have one point four three million in cap that, space. That's what happens when you franchise tag Bud Dupree, isn't it? There's one team in the league, and I can't think who it is that has one hundred and seventy-seven dollars in cap space. <laughs> I saw this yesterday. Yeah, it's um, it might be the Chiefs actually. Is it? Oh, it is the Chiefs. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. the Chiefs. And and uh, the the tweet I read said something like, "It's genuinely astonishing that they've got one hundred and seventy-seven dollars." No, that's not one hundred and seventy-seven thousand. Not one hundred and seventy-seven million. They have literally one hundred and seventy-seven dollars. To be fair, though, projected to, cap space to the capologist who who is who works with them. That is some. Capology to be able to get to within yeah, absolutely you know, to get fifty three players to within one hundred and seventy seven dollars <laughs> of the line that is pretty incredible maths. I mean, kudos to whoever that is. I'm going to find out who their cap guru is. I, I really want to know who um, whose contract it is that is coming in at like a, a figure that ends with thirty three dollars or whatever that ends up being twenty three dollars. You're just like. The numbers are, are bizarre behind it, but yeah, it's um, it's a funny one. If the Steelers don't sign someone, Si, how far away are we from seeing their strength and conditioning coach? If anybody, <laughs> if anybody ever gets the chance to watch the Steelers game, um, they have a strength and conditioning coach who has the best arm I've, arm I've ever seen live, and that includes all of the NFL players I've ever watched. I mean, how far away are we from him getting the starting job? To be honest, he is probably... Better than half the starters in the NFL. No, His arm is insane. We were at the uh, so to put some context on this, we were at Carolina uh, at Pittsburgh last season on a Thursday night, and well, <laughs> this guy could absolutely rip it. He was throwing 40, 50 yard bombs, absolutely. You know, to receivers to Antonio Brown and to Juju Smith Schuster, and he was putting it in a postage stamp. He was insane, wasn't he? So talented. Just incredible. He was, I mean, he was as accurate. You know, if this, if it was a workout for a kid, if this was like a pro day, you'd be like, I'm taking, I'm taking this guy first overall. <laughs> incredible. He was absolutely incredible. What, in what context was he? Was he just throwing it was balls just a, on a pre-game warm-ups or was he on the sideline? He wants yeah, he was the receivers just... every time for pre-game. Like, I've seen the Steelers now three times in the last eight, eight months live, and every time he's just winging it around the field. I, I, the, the guy's in his 50s. He's, he must be about 20, 20, 25 stone. But he just absolutely winged it down the field. Electrifying. I mean, he, he uh, looked like a kind of early-era Dan Marino. Um, fr- he frankly, was. Roethlisberger doesn't look much better than him right now. Is the worry, isn't it? Yeah, his name's Chet Furman, and he is an astonishing. Uh, he's an astonishing passer. Just an astonishing passer. <laughs> well, there you go. If you don't get the guy you want in this 2020 draft, as and when the Chargers move above the Dolphins to take Tua, mate, then oh, uh, God, here we go. <laughs> 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 then, <laughs> then you know you've got somebody else in there to pick up. Yeah. Incredible. Very incredible. 
Um, are there any particular moves from the last week or so? Because there, there, it's that week where there are lots of kind of smaller moves going on, isn't it? So uh, is there anything from this past week that caught your eye that you were a particular fan of? I thought the Bengals signing Von Bell was a, was a smart move. Uh, and I think the Bengals have made a few interesting, uh, good signings. You know, DJ Reader, I thought, was a, I think he's a really good player. He's going to really help in, in there along with Geno Atkins. And, but I, I really like Von Bell. I think pairing him with Jesse Bates, who I think is one of the better young free safeties in the NFL is a really good move on that back end because you know that we've talked about it a couple of times but the Bengals have got a significantly better team than um, their record showed last year you know you go through that defense and you look at some of the players there Geno Atkins and Sam Hubbard and William Jackson the cornerback is a very underrated player Jesse Bates is really good you know they're getting Jonah Williams back last year's first round pick he's going to play left tackle obviously got rid of Cordy Glenn and Billy Price they've got you know AJ Green coming back Tyler Boyd um you know, there's, there's, there's talent on that team. Joe Mixon, obviously. Um, you know, and I think um, I think they made a few, you know, bizarrely, because it's the Bengals, I think they made a few smart moves in um, in free agency. And Von Bell certainly was one of those deals that was like, okay, that's that's a, that's a nice under-the-radar uh, signing for a guy that I think can play multiple positions and I thought did really well for the, Steelers, for the uh, Saints. And is also still very, very young. Um, I thought that was an interesting signing. And look at it, if it works out, I think Robbie Anderson, uh, a kid that, um, you know, is a bit of a head case, I think, and certainly was, I think, difficult at times. But going back to 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 work under a coach that he knows very well, and Matt Rule, who coached him in college, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's, a, I, I thought that was a good deal as well. I think for for, for all parties. I, I, with the Bengals side of it, I'm glad you mentioned the tackle from last year because their recent record of uh, getting first and second round picks to actually produce, uh, injury being a huge part of it, but has been absolutely shocking. And I'm not suggesting that they're going to take a, um, you know, a, a 49ers level jump from being this picking that high in the draft to suddenly going to the Super Bowl. But they are one of those teams who, if they can stay healthy and if the coaching decisions make end up being the right ones which I know Matt and certainly I myself have been vocal on being not sure on uh, previously but they are a team who could suddenly go from being dreadful to at least contending for the playoffs quite easily through this offseason I mean they were look at last season their first two games last season they were they lost on the road to, to Seattle and the pretty much the last play of the game having led for most of the game uh, a Seattle team that made the playoffs, and then the following week they were driving down to the to the I think they were at the Bills like seven yard line when Andy Dalton was picked off at the end of the game going in to to win it for a Bills team that also went to the playoffs uh, and looks like one of the you know dark horses to go a pretty decent way in in this year's uh, season if we if we ever have one. Um, they are a significantly better team than their record showed, uh, and I think that you know you uh, you only have to look around at some of the teams with less talent but who did better coaching jobs to realize that that's where, you know, that team needs a, a big boost. Uh, whether Zach Taylor's that guy um, or, or whether, you know, he's just getting his sea legs under him uh, and bounces back this season remains to be seen. But, you know, the Bengals are not a bad team. They just ended up with a bad record. I think coaching's the big question mark, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I've, I've got... I've got almost no faith. I'd have more faith in Zach Efron as the coach than Zach Taylor, I think. <laughs> it, so. And I'd love to see it as well. Yeah, who would? 
I mean, I endorse it hugely. Um, the uh, It does bring up that question. Today, by the time a lot of people listen to it, the vote will probably have gone through and people are expecting it to be from the additional revenue it's going to generate from additional TV games and the additional opportunity for very bang average teams to get into the playoffs, which is seen as you know a sign of success for a lot of these owners then. It'd be stunning if it doesn't go through, but the the set, the extra uh, playoff teams, the seventh in each conference that was agreed in the CBA is being voted on today. Outside of uh, the Bengals, who we just mentioned there, um, I think there's a couple of very obvious examples. Those teams like Tampa Bay and Indianapolis who have gone and got a starting quarterback to, to pair with an otherwise talented roster. Um, who kind of jumps out as you as teams who can go, if not worse to first, then at least go from being picking in that top 10, top 12 to being a playoff playoff team this season? I think the Buccaneers are the, are the obvious one. And I'd have said that even without Brady, potentially, I thought they were pretty close last year. You know, they were the, the ultimate example of a team who a couple of, a couple of results went against them late in games. You know, the Giants and Seahawks games still stick out to me. So with Brady there, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they won the division, even even though the Saints are in it. Um, there's some interesting low down. I mean, I, have, I don't have a huge amount of faith in Cliff Kings, Kingsbury, but I think the Cardinals, you know, with the right development, right development um, a quarterback could be... Could be interesting. I mean, they've got New Hopkins now as well, and and you you think that Kyler could be the candidate to be that Lamar Jackson type sudden MVP candidate as well. You know, he's got to me, he's got the the athletic ability of Lamar, but a much better arm and and, and everything else. I mean, I I really think Kyler from last year, you know, thinking back to this time, is is an elite prospect still. So. So I think the Cardinals are, are an interesting team to me. So I don't know who, who really sticks out to you. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to say before Simon gets to say it that I will pick the Miami Dolphins because they've won the offseason and they have all the first round picks. So surely they're a team who... And, and to be honest, not just that, but the way they played down the last eight, nine games of last yeah. season, I really, Absolutely. really believe in the coaching. Um, yeah. I'm... I'm, I'm I expect the Dolphins to be decent this season, and I'm I'm genuinely excited to see it. Not just for Simon's sake. Yeah, coaching is important. I think that's the that that was the thing that really stuck out. Like a sore thumb last year was the was the outstanding coaching job that was done. I I, I would have to say, look, that you know, a couple of obvious teams, but you know, someone like the Raiders, someone like the Steelers, who you know. Pittsburgh will obviously get Ben Roethlisberger back. I'm, I'm intrigued to, because I actually thought that they, you know, in terms of the draft, you look at last year's draft. I thought the Raiders drafted pretty much as well or better than anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, you go through pick by pick by pick. Um, you know, they were hamstrung by the, the injury to Jonathan Abraham um, a little bit, but you know, Josh Jacobs was just unlucky not to be Rookie of the Year. You go down to the fourth round. Max Crosby had a really big year. Um, you know, Cleveland Farrell was probably the biggest letdown in inverted commas. And, uh, uh, and, you know, if they'd taken Josh Allen, for example, you look at just, you know, that would have been a, potentially a draft of the ages if those kids had trained on. Um, so and that, I mean, The Darren see, Waller pickup as well should, yeah. should get more love. I mean, nabbing him from a practice squad, uh, the Ravens, I think, wasn't a practice squad and turned him into a guy who looked like an elite tight end. I mean, not just a good tight end. I thought he was one of the best five in the league. I also think with the Raiders, do not sleep on on John Gruden and Marcus Mariota. Because I yeah. think Mariota is a guy who... who there is, there is still, to me, something intriguing there with Mariota. And I, and I thought Gruden, certainly over the first 10 weeks of last season, coached as well as any guy in the, in the league as well. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I disagree. There we go. Let's move on. The interesting thing about the playoffs is that, you know, look, are we essentially looking at, you know, is this just going to become a sort of a watered-down mess of mediocre teams getting blown out by far superior franchises with one team on each side that gets the week off, essentially ending up in the Super Bowl each year because they've had the extra week where everybody else is injured and knackered? That, that for me, would be a concern. And You know, did we need... More playoff games? Did we need no. more playoff games? I don't think we did. You know, and everybody's saying, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have three wild card games. Well, the system wasn't broken. I don't, I don't understand. I, I, I don't, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I think what will, it, what will tend to happen is you're going to get, let's say the Chiefs end up as the number one seed and uh, who in the AFC? The Buffalo end up as the number two seed. And then you've got Buffalo playing... Um, uh, the Jets who just managed to scrape in it ends up being like 51-7 or something ridiculous at Rich Stadium like who gives a sh- you know who cares I don't <laughs> want to see that I want, but you know what I mean it's you know you, no no I, I absolutely trust me So I hate the expansion of the playoffs because we went back and looked at who would have made it in the last five years and there wasn't a single team where you were going oh yeah they were really unlucky to miss out they could have made a run at it I mean last year's Rams and last year's Steelers were either of them unless that Pittsburgh had sorted out the quarterback position of course because they were really good on the defence but you know realistically uh, any of this uh, we'll get one seventh seed in the next 50 year we'll win it and they'll go see it was worthwhile I just I don't get it it's going to be a possibility of a 6 and 10 team making the playoffs I mean that's you know I don't think that's beyond the realms of, of discussion I don't uh, think that, that will happen though I think I think in history I think it was always somebody 8 and 8 and above but the um, I mean there's been a couple of notable examples of teams that have missed the playoffs un- unfairly at times that I remember in Arians' first season, uh, the, the Cardinals missed out going 11-5. and five. Uh, The Patriots missed out in 08 going 11-5. and five. But I think those are the only two examples in, in the so last have, 20 years. You have 16 weeks. I don't think there's any excuses in 16 weeks. To, I think, I to think 11, 11 and 5 is unfortunate, but I think anything other than that, I agree. But I'll, I'll never complain about more games. I'm, no. I'll, I'll watch it. I, I yeah I I'm not a fan of it at all and and actually yeah I I openly I'm openly against it I don't care about two extra wild card games that Sal made Sal made the postseason 2010 at seven and nine I don't think yeah, that, I don't, that was that was winning the division though wasn't it Well they still they still haven't fixed the biggest problem which Carolina is, Carolina went seven eight and seven, one eight, in 2014 yeah. mm-hmm. and they were the four seed so I, again. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've look, you know. I don't think we're too far away from a six and ten team making the playoffs. But you gave would have the, to win the division, wouldn't they? Yeah, you gave the you gave the prime example there, Simon. With both of those teams, they had to be division winners, which meant they got home playoff games. Which, uh, for me, is the problem. Is that fine? You're going to go to six teams in the wild card weekend. I don't care, but seed the three home teams as the three teams with the best records. Winning the division, getting you in the playoffs is enough of a reward. It shouldn't get you a home game if you finish seven and nine or eight, seven. Uh, was it eight, seven and one? The Panthers no, finished seven, or seven, eight and one. I mean, that's not good enough to get you a home playoff game and that home field advantage. Just do the seeding based on record. You still get into the playoffs because you won your division, so the divisions aren't meaningless anymore. That's a bigger problem for me than having an extra team in there. Yeah. 
Anyway, I've got that off my chest now. I feel better about the that world. That did give us the uh, the beast quake, though, didn't it? That was it the did. That, that Seattle beat the Saints in the playoffs. Did Carolina did. and um, Seattle both win their first playoffs? Yeah, because, yeah, they do. because Arizona, yeah. Yeah, who, who had their third-string quarterback play. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it was one of the worst games I've ever seen. I think it was Ryan Finley, wasn't it? It was probably, yeah. Poor Ryan Finley. Uh, wonderful. Right, so we're going to have, well, hopefully we'll have um, uh, your chat with uh, Jim Nagy coming up later this week, Matt, and we'll start some uh, some hardcore draft stuff. Yeah, I think, I think Thursday, three weeks before, we'll do an overview of the class with Sai and speak to, to Jim Nagy as well and, and, and start actually properly focusing on the draft and the class and everything around that. Sounds glorious. Boys, any any final thoughts before we uh, before we sign off then? Please don't take eight goes to do the sign off. <laughs> <laughs> I'll aim for seven. Uh, Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, find all of the good stuff at UK Gridiron on Instagram and at Gridiron on Twitter. Do go and uh, you know rate, share, subscribe, all that good stuff because it does genuinely help people find the podcast if you give us reviews. Uh, otherwise, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show.